Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. And we're really glad you could be with us today on the Three Martini Lunch. We're also brought to you today by Plexiderm. You need to head over to triplexiderm.com. And if you use our code Martini, you can get 50% off plus another 10 bucks. So... That's a great deal, and we'll be talking about that much more in just a moment. So, Jim, let's start with our good martini. Both are good and our bad deal with polling today. So let's start with the good. It was just last week we were talking about polling out of Colorado that already showed incumbent Republican Cory Gardner down double digits to John Hickenlooper, who's a very known commodity, there being a two-term former governor. But uh, let's go to a state where Republicans are looking a little better, and that is going to be the state of Michigan. Uh, John James is the challenger to Democratic Senator Gary Peters, who most Americans, including most people in Michigan, could not pick out of a police lineup if they had to. Um, but uh, James ran in 2018, lost to Debbie Stabenow, made it pretty close at the end. I think it's about four or five points. And now there are two polls uh, suggesting that this is going to be a pretty tight race. And in a year where a lot of defense is being played by Republicans, this could matter a lot if uh, James is able to pick up this seat. Uh, a recent poll last week showed it was Peters by five, 42 to 37. 42, never a good number for an incumbent. And now there's a new poll out from WLNS in Lansing uh, showing that it's Peter's 39.5%, James 39.3%. So, Jim, we don't know a lot about the methodology of these polls, and it's obviously over a year before Election Day. But if the challenger's in a dead heat with an incumbent who's now below 40%, at least in one poll, or at least very close to 40 if you average out the two, uh, John James is looking pretty good right now. Yeah, in a, a election cycle where not a lot went right for Republicans in 2018, John James running in Michigan and giving Debbie Stabenow a much tougher race than she expected is one of the one of the few things that went well in those upper Midwest purple states that had been so critical to Trump's victory. I think it's a good sign uh, that he's competing so well in this. Uh, obviously, look, you're not going to you know an early poll result at this point probably doesn't mean a ton. But it should give Republican donors who are looking for a decent pickup opportunity this, a further confirmation that John James uh, could be the guy. Now, the other thing, which you, as you mentioned there, Greg, Gary Peters is not terribly well known. He's been a Senate for several years. Yes, for the people listening in Michigan, Gary Peters is one of your senators. Uh, it's easy <laughs> to, to lose track of that. The only thing also, it's kind of another oddity of this potential matchup, Greg. So to run for president, do you need like just two first names to be your name? <laughs> Gary, Peter, John, James, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, George, Paul, Ringo. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I assume by the time we get to November 2020, both of these candidates will have much higher name recognition. Uh, they'll be running ads against each other. There'll be all kinds of effort to uh, explain what uh, who they are, what they stand for. The, the, the choice should be pretty clear. But again, I'm only kind of fascinated by these uh, incumbent senators who have astonishingly low uh, name ID. And, uh, you know, kind of fascinatingly, for a while here, Tim Kaine had an exceptionally slow name ID here in Virginia, and he was on the Democratic ticket. <laughs> this weird situation. What did the guy go to federal witness protection or something? How do you some sort of neuralizer from MIB that makes everybody forget about him? But uh, so you know, again, it, it's not a terrific uh, uh, selection of states and races at, at stake in 2020 for Republicans. But uh, Michigan looks like one where uh, could be worth watching as the as the cycle progresses. Jim, it's always 
tough to play the what-if game when it's a Democrat versus a Republican candidate, but given all the fawning coverage Beto got while running for Senate in Texas last year, and we've obviously seen a lot of uh, favorable coverage of, of different Democratic candidates over time, when you got a guy like uh, John James, who's a vet, he started his own small business, uh, and he's uh, a great community leader, a uh, good family man. Uh, I mean, if this was a Democrat, this guy would be a household name, right? I, I, very much true. And, and I wrote a piece towards the end of the last cycle. Uh, John James is probably the best example of that. But I believe it was Vukovic was the uh, woman who was running for the uh, GOP in Wisconsin. Um, she'd been an emergency room nurse. Um, no doubt she's probably got some very uh, exciting stories to tell about that chapter of her life. Uh, Josh Hawley ended up winning in Missouri, but in his days as a prosecutor, he was shutting down child trafficking rings and stuff. You know, there were some really fascinating figures running for running for office and even kind of separate from their political careers and stances, what they had done in their lives before they decided to run for public office. Um, in the case of, of Beto, he was in a band, he was skateboarded. There was this, there was kind of this just, you'd read these profiles that went on for pages and pages. And I kept waiting for the section where he had, you know, he hadn't served in the military, no particular moments of his life full of physical danger. I mean, other than the terrible car crashes he caused. And you just kind of kept waiting for the part where he became some, where he seemed to justify all this fascination. And it was this self-fulfilling prophecy that he's got these big crowds. Well, why is he getting big crowds? Well, he's got all this big coverage. Why is he getting all this big coverage? Because he's got these big crowds. But nobody could actually say much about Beto. And here we are. It's, you know, now uh, getting to late October and he's, his presidential campaign is floundering. And I think the, the Beto or work we see now is the same guy who was always there. It was just a matter of a lot of people in national media choosing to see what they wanted to see and crafting a narrative about Beto O'Rourke that just never really held up. A couple of closing notes on this Michigan race. Uh, third quarter fundraising. James actually outraised Peters, but Peters apparently still has more cash on hand. The Democrats are excited, though, because they found a picture of James posing with Rudy Giuliani and one of the Ukrainians who recently got charged with the feds. And as we all know, Jim, if you've ever pose for a picture with anyone, you're clearly part of the conspiracy, if there is a conspiracy. So. If they want to play that card, they can. I just want to point out, that makes all the Beto as a furry jokes legit now, right? <laughs> Fair is fair. Oh, man. All right. Always a new wrinkle in the uh, political forecast for 2020. But uh, let's leave the wrinkles uh, to the political twists and turns of 2020 and not on our faces. So picture your face in the mirror. Or look in the mirror if you can. Do you see all those wrinkles, if there are any around your eyes, or maybe some crow's feet, or maybe even some uh, large bags under the eyes? Well, now imagine they're just gone. I'm not talking about any risky or expensive surgery, because that becomes a whole mess. Just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm. It's a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in just minutes. If this is something that's frustrated you for a long time, Plexiderm is the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? Just wait until you see the results. Do you want to look 10 years younger? You will look rejuvenated, and simply put, you will be blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear so that nobody will know that you're using it. And the best part now, in addition to the fact that it works, is the fact that you can get it at a really low cost. Go to triplexiderm.com and use our code MARTINI for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off 
plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code MARTINI. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code MARTINI at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com or 1-800-685-1292. All right, Jim, let's talk about a different type of polling now. And you have written about this over at National Review. This is a Kaiser Family Foundation survey, and they want to know what people think about Medicare for all. Turns out 51% support it, 46% oppose it, which seems like, oh my gosh, a majority of Americans actually want government-run health care. But that's not quite right. So 55% of respondents believe that people who get insurance through their jobs would keep those plans. And another 55% believe that the people who bought their own insurance would keep those plans. Separate question found 40% said they thought private insurance would still be the primary way that Americans would get coverage under Medicare for all. 54% said that individuals and employers would continue to pay health insurance premiums. Meanwhile, if you actually explain it, that Medicare for All will eliminate private health insurance, 58% now oppose it. And 60% say they oppose it if it means higher taxes, which it will, even if Elizabeth Warren won't say so. So, Jim, there's I guess there's good and bad there. Uh, maybe multiple bads. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could say the good news is if the public is properly informed about what Medicare for All is, and, and by the way, like the, the name Medicare for all might be your first clue <laughs> about how it's mandatory. It's not Medicare for some. It's not Medicare for wanted. I know Pete Buttigieg has been trying to put this kind of alternative plan. And I'm waiting for somebody to say, well, Pete's plan doesn't make it mandatory. Yes, but that doesn't, you know, he's the mayor of South Bend. Uh, the plan that was signed on to by, written by Bernie Sanders. I wrote the damn bill. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren and signed on by Cory Booker and signed on by Kamala Harris is not, there's no wiggle room. There's no gray area under the law. It is illegal to, for private insurance companies to offer private, private plans that compete with Medicare for all. In other words, if Medicare covers a particular treatment, you cannot have private insurance to pay for it. Uh, if you're an employer, you are not allowed to offer private insurance plans that compete with Medicare. Medicare for all eliminates private insurance. There'd be a little bit left for things like plastic surgery, things that Medicare would not cover. But beyond that, everything Medicare covers, you cannot have it. You are, have to be in the government system. And that means you have to have the government, you know, you got to wait online the way the government uh, tells you to. You got to go to the doctor that the, do that the uh, government tells you to. All of your options you know, look, I, no doubt a lot of people are frustrated with their private health insurance companies. Nobody loves, very few people love health insurance companies. But the, at least in theory, if you don't like either one with your employer, you want to go into the individual market, you should have a choice. And those of us on the right have always said, if you don't like the way health insurance works, the more competition you get, the more choices you put before uh, customers, the more health insurance companies have to compete for customers, the better things will get. This is how you improve quality in every other aspect of the economy. It just because we don't because most people get it through their employers, their employers generally offer just one plan. That's pretty much what you get. That's why we ended up in this mess. Um, but most people seem to have no idea how Medicare for all works. They seem to think they get to keep all the parts that they like and get rid of the parts they don't like. That's just simply not how it is. And once they get told the basics of that, one, you don't get to keep your private insurance. Two, like, oh wait, oh, it might involve health uh, raising taxes. Well, yeah. 
You know, you want to increase spending by $34 trillion over 10 years, you're going to have to raise taxes. Well, all of a sudden, they don't like it then. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wait a second. There could be delays. Gee, you think every single person in America having to use the exact same healthcare system might end up with some delays? You think there might be some lines when it comes to getting treatments or something like that? Ever talk to a Canadian? So, Greg, I, I'm kind of, I, on the one hand, you kind of know, okay, the public doesn't really keep up with all the details, but these are fairly basic aspects of Medicare for all. And the fact that majorities, not just, you know, a chunk, um, but more than 50% don't understand how it works. Uh, one, I think it puts those, you know, uh, how shallow the level of support really is, and it provides enormous opportunity for Trump or Republicans or anybody else to make the argument, hey, you know, once you know how this is, you're not going to like it the way you think you do. Of course, it's kind of an egregious, you know, one, it points up, it's a bad reflection on the Democratic candidates that people don't understand how their plans work, although I suppose you could argue that's, you know, deliberate. Uh, it's an indictment of the media. I think you could argue it's a little bit of criticism of Republicans that clearly their counter arguments have not been permeating to the public. Finally, Greg, what are we teaching in our schools? Not that. It's a great transition, though. And we'll talk about that in the crazy <laughs> martini. And uh, but uh, just shows uh, how important the Senate races are, as well as uh, the presidential race and the House races, because uh, if the Democrats control the Senate, you know, they're going to kill the legislative filibuster. Uh, and this could be reality, regardless of what people understand and what they actually think about the real facts in this. So voting's going to matter in 2020. Jim, it's the most important election of our lives ever in any generation at any time ever. Is the most important election until the next one. All right, but let's get back to the schools here uh, and out to Seattle. You know, math is one of those subjects where it's pretty cut and dried. It gets complicated as you get older. All of a sudden, letters start getting involved more than numbers, and that's kind of where I peter out. But uh, Jim, uh, math, you usually are right or you're not. Uh, there's not a whole lot that's subjective about math until now. Uh, Seattle uh, Public Schools are in the uh, proposal stage of a four-page framework that's going to be looking at infusing ethnic studies into all subjects across the K-12 through spectrum, and that includes math. This is from Reason.com. Uh, students will be able to identify the inherent inequities of the standardized testing system used to oppress and marginalize people and communities of color, explain how math has been used to exploit natural resources, and explain how math dictates economic oppression. So, Jim, 2 plus 2 might equal 4 because there's also <laughs> uh, provisions I've seen some, from some other reports that a lot of the discussion is going to be about what people think the answer ought to be. So uh, if you think we're getting crushed uh, around the world in STEM issues now, including math, well, just wait. Yeah. So this was a small aspect of a piece that I have on the National Review homepage today. First of all, people out in Seattle, I'm sorry, uh, you have a beautiful city. I've always enjoyed my visits there, but I, I'm looking at this and wondering what the heck you're doing there. You could probably make an argument that if you want to try new ways to teach math fine. When I, I didn't have the class, but I remember when I was growing up, there was a teacher who made students write a report on a famous mathematician in history. If you want to try to do new things to show kids how they use math, um, how it gets used every day, how it's used in careers, fine. I'm going to be pretty fine with that. Um, but this just sounds like, you know, racial and ethnic grievances, uh, politically correct curriculum. Getting into this, uh, what should be, you know, quite literally cut and dried, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And here's the thing. I, I didn't have a chance to look this up, but my suspicion is, is that if, if all other problems in the Seattle education system are solved, well, okay, I guess you can worry about whether 
uh, the math curriculum is sufficiently diverse and recognizing the oppression of minorities and stuff like that. But I, I assume everybody's getting an 800 on the math section of the SATs up in Seattle, right, Greg? <laughs> I doubt right. it. Because if you're not, that would seem like a bigger problem. And it's, you know, one of the things that really is infuriating about this effort to uh, uh, completely upturn all the curriculum upside down and, and push it into new politically correct directions is, look, I would be, you know, I might even have a little bit of wiggle room for that if you were teaching the kids the stuff they needed. If they were getting really good scores on the SATs and if they were getting really good scores on all their grades and if they knew this stuff, okay, fine. All right. You know, we can make time and room for that kind of stuff. But if you're not teaching them two plus two equals four, if you're not, if they don't know how to do long division, if they don't know how to do any of this stuff, well, now all of a sudden you're, you're skimping on the stuff they need to know because you want to shove in this ideological stuff. And it's deeply infuriating. It's, it's, it's not just a, it feels like teachers who have failed at job one. So they want to change the definition of what their job is. And, you know, and also, by the way, I get sneaking suspicion, Greg, that this might be students who are like, hey, I'm doing really bad on the regular math, but I'm really much better at this oppression studies stuff. So why can't we you know, integrate that into the curriculum? Um, Greg, I don't know about you. I feel like I run into people all the time or, you know, can't make change if the, ca- if the cash register is not working. Um, <laughs> they can't figure out, you know, uh, they can't calculate the tip. God help them if they need to figure out what 15 percent is. Washington Post says we're supposed to tip 20 percent, even if the service is bad. Yeah. I, I got news for you. I'm not doing that. I, I want to see good service. What's the, um, what's all the, these other ways which we actually do, you know, I, I use math when I'm trying to calculate uh, polling, sample sizes, margin of error, all that kind of stuff. You know, math matters. And the idea that we want to kind of shove it to the side so we can get some more of this diversity and in, and grievance inclusion curriculum here um, really not just does a disservice to our kids. We're, we're not just shortchanging our kids. We are basically, it's not like the rest of the world is worrying about this kind of stuff. It's not like the rest of the world that is kicking our butts on these comparative studies doesn't recognize that like we are losing and we are not going to be competitive in the global economy because of this. And, you know, the day that grievance studies is the single most important thing in terms of uh, getting a job or in terms of uh, engineering, designing a building, medicine, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, great. We'll, we'll be really well prepared in that circumstance. But until then, the kids are going to get the short end of the stick. And that's an absolute injustice. I hope parents in, in Seattle get up in arms about this because, uh, uh, you know, you kind of wonder if people are just if, if not, they're probably going to move to private schools or otherwise going to vote with their feet because the Board of the Education is not interested in preparing kids for the challenges that are going to come later in life. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I need uh, a building built or a bridge built, I'm um, going to go with the math student who didn't spend a lot of time on the woke aspect of math. But I would say, Jim, that I wouldn't mind seeing some changes to how math is taught in a more practical way. Not that uh, some people don't use calculus and trigonometry and all those things. I'm not saying don't teach that. But things like how to put a budget together, uh, how to calculate a, a mortgage over time. Uh, how to do your taxes, things that are a little more nuts and bolts than kind of the the big theory stuff out there. Uh, I think it should be added to it probably more than replacing it. But uh, there's a lot of people who don't know how to do pretty basic things. And I think the school would be smart to spend some time doing that. Greg, I'll also add, like, why does Jim have such a bee in his bonnet about this? I don't like talking too much about you know personal life, Greg. So I won't confirm or deny that my older son is now taking algebra. <laughs> and now all of a sudden I have to remember algebra. And I'm maybe not as good at remembering it as I thought I was. But I will say it's been we've made an enormous step in the right direction in terms of word problems. We're getting a lot fewer 
Uh, two trains leave Cleveland at the same time. One heading in the direction of Pittsburgh leaves at 1 p.m., traveling at 25 miles an hour. Another one travels heading towards Cincinnati at 46 miles an hour. Which one has the better food on it? You know, uh, <laughs> all, all those word problems that used to blow your mind. It is a little bit more um, volume and space and calculating money and how much can you cost, how much can you afford if you have this and, you know, plugging numbers into an equation and stuff like that. So it's getting a little better in that, but that's, that just might be how things are going here in Authenticity Woods. Doesn't sound like that's how things are going in Seattle, Greg. Jim, another amazing day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. And don't forget the great deal that's available right now with Plexiderm. Try Plexiderm.com and 50% off plus an additional $10 off. Can't go wrong with the deal or the product. Check it out. We'll be back on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.